everybody. This is the Prepared Mindset Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Austin. I'm back at it uh, after taking a much-needed sabbatical. Uh, Lexi and I got away to uh, good old northern Michigan for uh, a couple days uh, this week, so uh, this episode's probably coming out a little bit later than what some of y'all are used to. It's okay. Uh, We're here for it. Um, And I just want to make sure I point out to everyone that if you have the ability, even remotely, take the time, get away, uh, unplug, uh, unwind, de-stress. I think that, uh, you know, with as much of a, uh, a focus as we hear on, you know, mental health and all that these days, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing, right? Mental health isn't always a negative issue, but I mean, take the time, uh, relax, get away from a screen. You know, it was just, it was amazing to be able to spend time on the lake, on the beach, in the 90 degree heat and the sun, right? And just sit and read, you know, uh, no, not playing on the internet, not playing on my phone. The biggest issue I had was staying hydrated and then where I was going to go from, you know, where we were going to go for our next meal. Um, it was a, a huge break from the, <clears throat> the day-to-day norm for us. And I, I loved it. And I'm already, <laughs> we're already looking at, uh, you know, what our next trip's going to be, how we're going to get away, what we're going to do. So, um, like I said, though, we're back at it today. Uh, and there's a couple things to talk about. Um, specifically, I want to talk about some, something that we've seen recent this week in the media. Um, there was a, a mall shooting in Indiana, um, and I don't really want to focus so much on on the fact that that happened, but a lot of the context around it and how it how it is important, how it highlights a lot of different things, um, and and how it really puts the scope of accountability on on us as prepared, armed uh, citizens. You know, not law enforcement, not military, not you know veteran, whatever. You know, just well trained armed and well-prepared citizens and why that is so important. It's something we talk about a lot on this podcast. Um, you know, the last few weeks I've had some, uh, some great, great guests, uh, that have highlighted a lot of those things. Um, and this week, obviously no one's scheduled just due to me being out of town and some conflicts and things like that. No big deal, but I want to talk about it because I think it's really important. Um, before I get into all the heavy, the heavy, heavy stuff here, I, I do need to make sure that I say thank you to Eclipse Holsters. Uh, they are our presenting sponsor here at the Prepared Mindset, and they take fantastic care of us. Guys, if you're looking for a holster, you're looking to upgrade, um, you know, concealed carry belts, dump tray, uh, tourniquet carriers, head over to EclipseHolsters.com, check out the website, use our code PREPAREDMINDSET, all one word. It's going to save you 20% off your order. Uh, like I said, I was just out of town for a couple days. I carried uh, the Aquarius, which is their tourniquet holder. I have that Velcroed inside my Vertex sling bag. So we're walking up and down Front Street there in Traverse City, checking out downtown. I had my bag with me. I had, you know, medical supplies. I got a tourniquet stowed securely, ready to go in my bag, ready to deploy in the event I needed it. Also had, you know, couple spare magazines, uh, you know, gauze and all that stuff. Um, there's a, you know, there's a lot of things you need to have with you. Make sure that you're able to deploy those as needed, whether it be a firearm, as we're going to talk about here via a good quality holster, uh, you know, a spare magazine from a good quality mag carrier or a tourniquet, you know, in the event that you come across, you know, any number of issues doesn't have to be, you know, gunshot related. Eclipse does 
fantastic work and can help you with solutions for all of those needs. Again, head on over to EclipseHolsters.com. Our discount code they hooked you guys up with is Prepared Mindset, all one word. Again, it's going to save you 20% off. And if you spend over 100 bucks, they're going to upgrade you to free FedEx two-day shipping, which is badass. On top of that, hey, place the order within three business days. They're going to have that handmade for you and out in the mail on its way so you can start carrying. You can be a better prepared individual and a better prepared you know, citizen here uh, like we're going to get into. You can be more effective in tragic situations uh, and you can make a difference. So head on over to Eclipse, check out all the good work that Jess and her team do. We love being partners with them and uh, yeah, go check them out. So, all right, um, let's talk about basically what this boils down to is personal accountability. Okay, we talk a lot about personal accountability. We talk a lot about personal skills and I think that that's all well and good. I think we're going to continue to talk about those things because it is so fundamentally and important and so paramount to a lot of different subjects, right? Context, however, context is what creates definition around these items, these issues. Um, so looking at uh, this shooting, okay, Greenwood Park, Greenwood Park Mall in Indiana, um, a gunman opened fire, um, three people killed, some wounded. I'm not going to say the shooter's name. Um, I've, I've done that with other incidents before. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say the shooter's name to speak that asshole's name out loud. I think just gives power and purpose to whatever or power to his purpose, I should say, which is clearly just evil and I won't do it. It's not what I'm about here. I'm not a news source. I don't you know, have any kind of responsibility to, uh, report that specific information other than to say that he was a shooter. He is dead and he's an asshole. What is important here is a armed civilian, okay, Elijah Dickin, right? His name is being circulated throughout social media. He's like a social media like megastar now um, in the 2A community. Um, he, you know, deployed his concealed carry handgun, his uh, Glock. And what makes this so impressive, and I say that, that's probably, that's... <clears throat> It's probably a poor word choice on my part, honestly, but, you know, eight out of 10 shots hit this uh, active shooter at approximately 40 yards in under 15 seconds. Um, now, keeping in mind, in 15 seconds, this shooter was able to kill three people, and that's tragic and it's wrong. Um, and of course, news sources jumped all over how it's an AR-style rifle, and that's the issue. Um, what news sources are shying away from is that this is a legally armed civilian. Now, yes, the mall was technically a gun-free zone. However, constitutional carry passed two weeks prior in Indiana. So he didn't have to have a CPL because he didn't, but was able to effectively put rounds on target and neutralize this threat and save the lives of countless, countless people, right? 22 years old. Okay. Um, no military training, no law enforcement training. The only training that we, and I've not been able to confirm, you know, any of this, and it's kind of a moot point anyways. Clearly there's some kind of training there because nobody puts those kinds of shots on target without having, you know, practiced, without having trained, put in the time with their weapon system to understand things like how your sights work, trigger pull, grip, you know, uh, recoil mitigation, 
those are all things that you don't just pick up a gun and know, right? There's clearly time put in here. Um, and I will say it is kind of neat that there's already being a drill designed, you know, the Dickin drill or something on social media circulating. Um, people putting up like, oh, is a USPSA target or something, and you got 15 seconds, you got to hit, you know, uh, C zone or better or something, uh, 8 out of 10 in 15 seconds or less. Um, I think that we should, to a certain extent, celebrate these kinds of events. And I say that because the, I think the mainstream media does such a, they, they, they make such a strong and concerted effort to not report on these kinds of issues, these kinds of, of ongoings, right? Anytime a good guy with a gun stops a, a mass casualty situation, it is largely ignored. It is largely swept under the rug. We don't, we don't want to report on that. We don't want to give power to that narrative, okay? Because a lot of a lot of mainstream media, with the exception, I think, of like Fox News, um, and we're talking about the big networks, right? You know, ABC, CNN, NBC, whatever, CBS. Um, they're very liberal leaning. They're very left leaning, and they're very in support of the left side of the aisle's political agenda. Um, <clears throat> now you can say that's my opinion. Uh, however, that's a lot of people's opinions, and there's a hell of a lot of data and history and like online headlines to um, to support that. So I feel fairly confident in saying it. And a lot of people just say, well, no, that's not true. They report down the center, and uh, you know, Fox is just far right wing. I, I would I would adamantly disagree with that notion. Um, but I digress. So you know, and it's funny because I, even CNN, who was not reporting this the day that it happened has come out and now they have uh, an article about it um, quoting people talking about how this this young man was a superhero he saved lives and he did this is why it's so vitally important that we have armed and not only armed but trained civilians in our society guys we have to be that accountability for our culture our community our society we have to own that accountability each of us you know, that old saying goes, you know, it takes a village. Owning a firearm is not going to be enough. Owning and carrying a firearm is not going to be enough. Owning the firearm, carrying it, and additionally putting in the time, both dry fire and live fire, to understand your weapon system, to be accountable with your weapon system, to be able to deploy it accurately and confidently and to some extent carefully in situations like that, that's what it's going to take. That's why I think that we should run with this story. We should, you know, and, and to some, it, it feels disingenuous even saying, even saying some of these things because lives were lost and politicizing things like this, I, to an extent, I morally object to this. I think that um, you know, leveraging the memories of those that were lost is, is to a greater extent inappropriate. Um, but I do strongly feel that this is something that we need to talk about, right? This is a situation that could have been far, far, far worse if the shooter hadn't been stopped. What are we looking at for response times from police officers, right? I've said it before. Last time I checked, it was like eight to 15 minutes is some, somewhere in there, which can depend, depend you know, uh, based on your geographical location, but it's approximately eight to 15 minutes is your average law enforcement response time 
across the United States, like I said, last time I checked. So that could be, you know, any number of things. Is your mall security guard armed? Um, <clears throat> no, mall security guards are not armed. Well, why are they not armed? Well, for one, um, because then there's greater liability if they were to shoot somebody without justification. So that costs money. Liability insurance costs money. Um, people that have to carry a gun want more money to be paid hourly. And let's not forget that the mall's policy was that it is a gun-free zone, which includes their, quote, security guards. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think it is kind of a little bit ridiculous that they have such a policy. And, you know, but, but it is what it is. We live in a world where people think that the gun is the issue and just simply putting up signs is going to fix it. Clearly not if this gunman found a way somehow to get an AR-15, which is not a small uh, weapon system, by the way, like a full-size AR-15, 16-inch barrel, like you're talking, you know, tip to butt, so to speak, is, you know, 26, 28 inches. The thing's over two feet long. Um, you're, I mean, and it's the middle of summer, you know, here in the Midwest, it's we're high 80s, you know, so I kind of tend to wonder how the, the, fire, the firearm, how the weapon system got into that building in the first place. And I know it starts to sound paranoid at a certain, at a certain level, this all starts to sound paranoid. But I do think it is a little bit weird that we're starting to see this spike in active shooter situations as we're approaching, you know, um, midterm elections. And then now as a result, now we we, we had the, uh, was the Safe Communities Act or something, red flag laws, basically passed by our House and Senate. Um, you know, several Republicans crossing the line and whatnot. And now we have Nancy Pelosi and her House Judiciary Committee. They, they passed um, this assault weapons ban. So it went from the House Judiciary Committee and now is going to be up for a vote in the House and Senate because they're going to try and ban assault weapons because that's that's the issue here. Um, you know, and the argument keeps coming back to why this is, why why civilians should have these, these weapons in common use. Well, um, this assault weapons ban actually doesn't just address things like AR-15s. Technically, I believe that, and I would have to double check on this, but they, that puts a an ammo capacity limit on handguns as well. Handguns with a threaded barrel, not allowed. Um, those are banned. So I'm not specifically sure the firearm that Mr. Dickin used to dispatch this, this shooter, right? But it seems that it was a Glock. That's what's being reported. Could have been a 19. Could have had a threaded barrel. Um, if it's a Glock 19, Glock 17, right? Those carry 15 plus one, 17 plus one rounds. Extended magazine carries, you know, could carry more more rounds. Under our assault weapons ban, that would make this, that would make those both illegal. Um, and I think that you have to look at it from a, the perspective of that it's not going to make us safer. You know, it's going to make it harder for the everyday citizen, the well-prepared citizen, someone like Elijah Dickin here, to keep their community safe because now you're hamstringing the law-abiding citizen um, by putting undue stress and undue circumstances on their ability to carry while you basically enable criminals to keep carrying out criminal acts it's already illegal to you know uh, shoot people uh, to assault people um, kill right those things are all illegal already um, not to mention that the shooter obviously violated the gun-free zone policy. Um, so it doesn't work. Those kinds of things, they don't, they're not working. They're not actually making us, us safer. Um, 
So one thing I did want to kind of jump over to and talk about, because I'm looking at this on my other screen right now as I'm recording, is I, I went to CNN. You know, I went to CNN's website because I wanted to see what they were reporting on this particular incident. And, um, you know, and of course, they kind of the first half of the article, they talk about how the shooter was a 20 year old. So shouldn't have been able to uh, get this AR-15 style rifle, which we've not seen. I've not seen pictures anyways. So AR-15 style could mean like a number of things. It You know, either it was an AR-15 or it wasn't. And honestly, if you guys have seen some of the House Judiciary footage of some of these incompetent politicians making arguments about why AR-15s are bad, um, it's hilarious. They had a, quote, professional doctor come in and talk about the AR-15 was chosen by the military in Vietnam because it could pierce an enemy helmet at 500 yards, um, which is actually, I'm like 99% certain that's, that's false and not even remotely accurate. And the 5.56 platform or 5.56 cartridge out to 500 yards um, I don't think it's piercing anything, a helmet or any other armor. Um, I could be wrong. I totally could be wrong with that. Um, but I'm fairly confident that in Vietnam, that was not why we chose the M16 platform or the AR style platform. Um, but I digress. Um, so scrolling through the CNN article, um, you get about halfway through and they're quoting, um, so Dickens' girlfriend who was there at the time, uh, her grandmother was interviewed and quoted. Um, you know, saying things like everyone should be proud of him for what he's done, because if not, there would have been a lot more. Um, and that's, that's true. If there was not somebody there to dispatch this asshole immediately and proficiently and, uh, granted again, three lives were lost. That's, we shouldn't overlook that. But until we have more, until this becomes a more widespread, um, I guess idea, right. Of lawful concealed carrying, constitutional carry being, you know, being empowered to the citizens, uh, for lack of a better phrase, in more states across the country, we'll keep seeing these things happen until criminals, these assholes, these uh, radical idealists, whatever. I haven't even looked into why this kid did this shit. Who the fuck cares? Um, you know, <clears throat> until they start to realize that there's going to be people there waiting to shoot them. They're going to keep trying to do this. That's why this gun-free zone thing has actually been uh, a huge hindrance since Bill, you know, the, the Clinton administration, President Bill Clinton signed that bill into law. So you can't carry guns on school grounds anymore. And everyone's jumping everything over to gun-free zones and that'll stop it. And it's really just a political ruse. It's really just a ploy. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I think it's a pretty obvious uh, indictment that our leadership doesn't actually care about keeping people safe. Um, I think it's it points to the fact that they want people to be in danger because then it makes it easier for them to, quote, fight the gigantic gun lobby and disarm the American people. Because once you're disarmed, you can't fight back against anything. Um, I also find it very funny that, you know, in light of the recent Roe v. Wade decision under the Supreme Court, um, people are screaming and yelling and rioting and, and protesting and whatever um, about their freedoms being infringed upon, but at the same time, you know, hey, what could you use to fight back against the government? What did we do to fight back against the government when this country was founded? Oh, that's right. We took up arms. Just just throwing that out there for, for consideration and for the world to see, you know, uh, just my thoughts on that, kind of the, the stupidity behind all of it. I think it's it's so, so stupid. But at any rate, getting back to this article for CNN, um, you know, they start quoting some statistics here. Uh, I'm going to read this straight from the article. There were at least 434 active shooter attacks in the U.S. from 2000 to 2021, according to Alert. 
which is um, Advanced Law Enforcement Rapid Response Training at Texas State University. So 434 across 21 years. And it goes on to say the active shooter attacks were defined as those in which one or more shooters killed or attempted to kill multiple unrelated people in a populated place. So that doesn't talk about success rates. That doesn't talk about how many people were killed. That doesn't, uh, nothing other than the fact that someone deployed a firearm system of some variety. And that, I mean, take that for what it's worth. I mean, you can dress up numbers a lot of way, or a lot of ways, I'm sorry. But to say, th- you know, 434 across 20 years. So do the math on that, you know, that's, you know, that kind of narrows it down. And then, then we continue with, of those 434 active shooter cases, an armed bystander shot the attacker in 22 of the incidents. So in 10 of those, the good guy was a security guard or an off-duty police officer. Now, this is something that we promote, right? Good guy with a gun is what's going to stop the bad guy with a gun. It was clearly the case here. Uh, in Uvalde, Texas, where there was, we're not even going to unpack all of that because there's just so much that was wrong with how that was handled. Eventually, law enforcement shot the guy. In all of these mass shooter situations, a good guy with a gun eventually ends it. That's, however, you know, you're looking at the wrong issues entirely if you're looking at how long it took them to do it. That's an entirely different discussion. It revolves around things like police policy, public policy, public scrutiny procedures, things like that. Like law enforcement has, there's so many issues with our law enforcement system and how they handle these situations right now. And if you don't look at that objectively and see that politicians are hamstringing our police to make it look a very specific way when we deal with these kinds of items, you might be blind. Because on one hand, they scream for defund the police. Then they scream that there's you know not enough police, that we can't stop these kinds of mass shooting incidents. And they're playing both sides of the table, and it you're being backed into a corner. But I, I digress. This article goes on <clears throat> after pointing out that in 22 of the incidents uh, were stopped by an armed bystander, 10 of them by a security guard or off-duty police officer. The next paragraph, having armed people at the scene who are not law enforcement members can create confusion and carry dire risks, according to data analysis published by the New York Times. An armed bystander who shot and killed an attacker in 2021 in Arvada, Colorado, for example, was himself shot and killed by the police who mistook him for the gunman, the Times reported. So they're essentially, while wash, you know, they're, they're playing both sides of the table again here. Here, we're going to talk about the good things that the shooter did, but then we're going to make sure that we point out here why having armed bystanders who saved fucking lives, they saved people from being shot and brutally murdered, right? Innocent civilian bystanders, women, children, whatever. He saved them. They got to take the opportunity here to point out having armed people at the scene who are not law enforcement can create confusion and carry dire risks. So my question then is, what dire risks? What is more dire? Are we all supposed to just lay down? Maybe we get shot, maybe we don't. And we hope that law enforcement in eight to 15 minutes shows up and then past that takes less than 45 minutes or an hour and 15 minutes to make entry into the building and neutralize the threat. Or do we take matters around? Now, it's part of training. It's part of training. You know, go out and take classes, talk to your local law enforcement. This is why we talk about being involved in your community. Talk to local law enforcement. Hey, in the event something like this happens, I'm, you know, responsibly armed citizen. What do I do? Do I put the gun down? Do I put my hands on my head? Do I, I mean, how, do, how should I posture myself? Do some research. 
this is what we've talked about before. Accountability and liability are huge facts, huge factors, but you you have to have the right you have to have the right context applied to these situations when looking at, at some of this. You know, how am I going to be looked at? How do I need to posture myself? What should I do after I neutralize the threat? How do I let police know that I am not the shooter? And additionally, even if you aren't the one who's stopping the shooter, when you call police, why you should pass as much information along as you can, because then they can relay that to the officers that are arriving on the scene. Hey, he's in a hoodie. Well, okay, Elijah Dickin was in shorts and a t-shirt. Could he take the hoodie off? Possibly. What other information can you give him? Oh, the shooter has an, has a rifle. This guy's got a handgun. You know, and not one of these things is going to make or break the whole situation, but the more information that can be passed along and relayed to first responders, the better off you'll be. You have to do your research. You have to understand the position that you're potentially putting yourself in when, when, when trying to stop somebody like this. But again, it comes back to your personal accountability. If you are carrying that firearm with you and you are enabling yourself to be a protector and to be a safeguard to your community, you have to understand 360 degrees of what that looks like. Now, in this particular incident, Elijah Dickin did. He knew what he had to do. He executed at a level, I mean, honestly, past what a lot of law enforcement could could probably do, right? We've seen some pretty awful videos of law enforcement opening fire in some of these situations. Now, I, I think it's not, I think it's worth noting, right? Um, he did miss two shots. We're talking about accountability. You missed two shots. Did those rounds impact innocence? No, they didn't. We would have definitely heard about that, right? Um, so they were misses, and you know, eight out of ten hit the mark, and they knocked this guy down. They, you know, they, he eliminated the threat. That's under the circumstances, stress, fifteen seconds or less, forty yards with a handgun. It's pretty good work, you know. Um, and if you're somebody listening to this right now, like I'm sitting here saying this, thinking about it, going man, I don't, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could do that. Yeah, that's, it's tough. That That's tough with a handgun um, under that kind of, when you're not trained to those kinds of stress levels on a regular basis. And even, again, you know, I don't want to just sound like I'm keep ragging on law enforcement. And I certainly don't want to sit here and talk about how military would do it better because a lot of people in the military with firearms training are not proficient at firearms. Okay, they're just not which is, we've talked about that before, why having military experience, for the most part, doesn't actually mean anything, and why having law enforcement experience, again, for the most part, doesn't actually mean anything. Um, managing the stress, being able to put those rounds on target effectively, right? It's not like you just hit them in the legs a bunch of times or, you know, grazing wounds and things like that. We're talking good good hits um, and was able to neutralize the threat. So if you're listening to this going, I don't know if I could do that, yeah, it, that's tough. We all need to train to those kinds of standards. Push that target out past, you know, five yards at the gun range, seven yards at the gun range. Um, and it's a it, it highlights very elegantly, I guess, um, if not very tragically, that the, the old myth that, you know, oh, 90% of engagements, 90% of encounters take place within seven feet. But that's not 100%. In this instance, it was 40 yards. That's almost half a football field. Put put that in perspective. Think about how far away that is, and if you you know if you've trained to that standard. Most indoor ranges don't go that far, so chances are you probably have not. 
Um, but we need to, okay? You need to push those limits. And what's even more dangerous is if you're listening to this right now going, yeah, I can make that shot. That's not even a problem. 40 yards is nothing. You're probably fucking wrong. And you should go audit that at the range. And you know what? Hey, if, and if, if you can, if you on demand, cold start, right? Because again, he wasn't at the range warming up when this guy came out and he started shooting, right? Cold start can put 8 out of 10, 40 yards, 15 seconds or less. If you can do that, you have my respect and a lot of people's respect because that's tough, all right? Um, but I, I would I would venture to guess that most folks can't do that on demand. And that's, I mean, hey, make that a benchmark. Make that a performance standard. Make that a goal, you know? Um, I think that having data like this to some extent uh, to help hold us accountable is crucial. When we look at how we define our uh, competency and, uh, you know, how effective we can be. Things like this. Um, I've talked about the tooler drill before on this podcast. I've talked about it on my Instagram. Um, something that was explained to me and kind of and taught to me in uh, a concealed carry class, right, with Robbie over at Ann Arbor Arms. The tooler drill. Uh, and I always get, I always fuck this up. It's either 21 yards or 21 feet. I think it's 21 feet. Um, 1.5 seconds is the amount of time it could it would take a um, adversary to close that gap is 1.5 seconds that 21 feet so the drill is you need to draw from concealment and put around on target in under 1.5 seconds okay it was developed by you know Jeff Tuller that's why I call it the Tuller drill um, that's contextual data that can be used to help build standards okay so in that particular instance, that standard is how fast you can deploy the weapon system and get that first round on target. Now, we're clearly looking at a different conversation if you're talking about somebody who is closing distance. You're already, 21 feet is already way, 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 way closer than 40 yards. Um, so again, that's where context, I'm sorry, where context and nuance start to make a difference with a lot of these things. Um, but we need to be well-rounded. You need to look at, can I make the far shot? You know, can and how how fast can I make follow up shots? Because you could you can for sure sit there and ring steel all day long at at forty yards, get eight rounds out of ten on target, if you got two and three seconds between each squeeze to make that work. If you're doing the math here, if that was a perfect string of fire, ten rounds in fifteen seconds, that gives you what one point five seconds squeeze to squeeze, right? One point five seconds. It's not a ton of time, and you know, hey, uh, consider that. This is, and this is why when I talk to people about, I get questions like, oh, I want to start concealed carrying. I want to buy my first handgun. I want to, you know, whatever. The, what should I buy? I want to buy a revolver. I want to buy a 40. I want to get a 45. I want to get this little 380. Well, and I start having questions like, okay, well, what's important to you? Why a revolver? You know, that long trigger squeeze. That's, I mean, that's something to consider, um, but you can't even complete this scenario with a revolver because at most, even the highest capacity of revolvers out there right now carry eight rounds. So you wouldn't even be able to get the full 10. Um, your follow-up shots are going to be much, much slower for pretty much anybody who's not named Jerry Michalek, right, um, because of recoil and having to realign the sights. 
you know, so then you get into things like, okay, well, is a 40 going to make more sense? Well, it could. Again, recoil is a factor. Even, you know, large frame 40 caliber handguns, like a, you know, uh, I, I always fuck this up. I never remember what the, the 40 caliber uh, Glock 17 handgun is, but the full size Glock or a full size Smith and Wesson or SIG, whatever, in, in 40 caliber, at most, they carry 9 plus 1 or 10 plus 1 rounds. So you're putting yourself at another disadvantage. That's why, typically, my first recommendation to people, if they don't know any better, is go for 9mm. You're going to hold more ammo. It's going to be reliable. Follow-up shots are going to be easier. It's what law enforcement carries. There's a reason for it. it. There's a reason why it's the sidearm in the military. Like, 9mm is a great round, and it offers a lot of features, I guess. A lot of features, a lot of benefits to carrying a weapon system chambered in 9mm versus 40, 45, or 357, or 44 Magnum. You know, and you can start, you know, all the FUDs out there can start dropping bombs on the, you know, 45 ACP kills your soul and why you carry a 1911. Um, but it's not it's not really uh, that advantageous of a platform when you start looking at situations like this. Now, you know, hey, there's certainly arguments to be made, right? Hey, um, eight hits, nine millimeter versus let's say you hit six out of seven or seven out of nine with 45. Would it do the same job? I think probably, you know, for any, any number of, of hits uh, from different calibers would, you know, probably dispatch the shooter. Um, but again, for a lot of people, follow-up shots and recoil control are a huge consideration. And the further up you go in the caliber chain, it's going to be harder. There, I mean, unless you're somebody who just shoots all the fucking time, it's going to be harder. And under stress, cold start, are you going to be working at optimum uh, efficiency, optimum performance? Um, probably not. I would say probably not. Uh, and that's just my opinion. I'm sure there's people who are listening to this and they're going to say, well, you're, you're wrong. You know, hey, again, if you can go out there and you can, and you can do this on demand, uh, more power to you. More power to you. Uh, I don't. I don't think that that's most people though. And I know right now a lot of folks don't have the extra money with inflation and gas prices and everything to go out and just be blowing hundreds and hundreds of rounds at the range. Let alone pay for range time, have access to ranges that go like we said, out past twenty-five yards. But getting back to our original point here, this is why accountability, individual accountability, is so important. Because, you know, to kind of go back and quote one of my guests from a couple weeks back, Ian Strembeck, he runs Rune Nation LLC training company. Their, their company's motto is, no one is coming to save you. You have to be able to be your own first responder. You have to be able to be in a position to deploy a weapon system with the necessary skills and proficiency and competency to be the difference maker in these scenarios, you know, and whether any of us can or can't, um, it's anyone's guess, you know, I think we'd all really like to think that when we get put in that scenario that we would be able to act in the same manner in which, uh, Elisha Dickin did, um, but the truth is we don't really know until you, you know what I mean? Like until you actually get put in that situation and you have to test your metal, uh, test yourself that way, you don't know. 
but it, it's it certainly does put like I said kind of an elegant uh, perspective and context and scope around uh, individual accountability and why we should audit our skills and why you know just carrying the gun itself is not enough it's not in some instances you may get lucky but luck's not a plan you know talk to anybody in um, I mean, it doesn't have to be law enforcement or military. Like, luck is what happens in the absence of a plan. That could be in business. That could be, uh, you know, family budgeting. That could be so many things. Like, luck is not a plan. So if you carry a firearm and you're not, you're not actively, uh, you're actively putting in the time to define and refine those those skills, those adjacent skill sets, like marksmanship. Um, you know, cold start drills, all the all the little uh, minutia, I guess I'll say, that they go with this. Then y- you are falling short of expectations, and that's uh, and and I'm not I'm not sitting here saying that I'm a model for any of those things. I certainly fall short. I don't get to 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 live fire out on the range as much as I need to, as much as I would like to. We can all do better, and I think that's a really important point. We can all do better. We can all do more. It's not to say that you're a bad person if you're not doing this today. But if you're looking for reasons to justify why you need to do more, um, if you're looking for that cold splash of water, if you're looking for that slap to the face, if you're looking for the wake-up call, whatever, hey, maybe maybe this can be it, right? Why this stuff is important um, and why it's you know uh, important to have a, a good weapon system when you're carrying this gentleman carried a Glock. Um, I also carry a Glock. My wife carries a Glock. My brother carries a Glock. Um, a lot of dudes run Glocks. Now, th- does that mean that you're putting yourself at a disadvantage by carrying something else? Ha- absolutely not. As long as it's not like a little Taurus 380 piece of shit or something that's going to not work for you. You know, carry a Smith & Wesson. Carry a SIG. You can even carry a Springfield if you want. Not my recommendation. Um, but when you're looking, you're going out and you're looking to to buy your firearm and to carry. There's a reason why some of the, these brands keep coming up, and why a lot of people keep saying not to buy other ones. You know, and oh, I only have 300 bucks right now. Don't go out and buy a piece of shit gun for 300 dollars because then you you'll have a brick and zero dollars. It may suck. It may sting. It may drive you absolutely fucking up the wall. But Making an educated and informed and responsible purchase, if you're talking about a life-saving apparatus like a firearm, that's that's just as crucial and just as important. Okay, um, so save up the other two hundred dollars, get yourself up to five hundred bucks. You can buy a used Glock. Um, hey, if you want to buy brand new, Smith and Wesson, four hundred, four hundred fifty bucks. You can get a uh, new Shield Plus that came out. You can get the Shield Com or the I'm sorry, the M&P Compact which is like their their version of the Glock 19. Um, if you're willing to buy, you know, a used Glock, you can probably get a Gen 3 Glock 19 for around $400 or $500. Um, new ones go for six or seven, so if you have the money, you know, jump into one of those boys. There's other options out there, um, but it has to be something that you can rely on. Like, I don't want to keep coming back and bashing, you know, Taurus, Um but there's a lot of videos of people out there literally uh, just shaking a Taurus handgun vigorously, and it goes off. Um, I've heard a lot of things about, and I haven't shot one in several years, um, but Ruger's handguns 
having reliability issues, pins backing out, um, you know, uh, all, all kinds of issues. Okay, from companies Ruger, uh, Taurus, Sky, you know, those little cheap guns. There's a reason they're cheap. High point, you know, there's a reason they're cheap. Um, consider that when making your purchase. Now you can go and get something like a Canic um, or, or Yannick, whatever. I think that's the the proper pronunciation. Turkish company. Um, I own one TP9SF Elite. Again, it's kind of like their Glock 19 comparison. Um, great trigger out of the box. Comes with good blacked out rear sights and a you know a fiber uh, fiber optic front sight, um, front slide serrations. Um, I know a lot of people are starting to jump on that train because the affordability and uh, I've not heard a lot a lot about quality control issues. Something you could look at, but do that research and. Again, make an informed decision, make a responsible decision when you're looking at this, because this is something you're going to be carrying with you on your body to use in a situation that we're talking about here. You know, it would be irresponsible to go out and buy something like a 22 or, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of 380. I know there's a lot to be said about the performance of 380s. Here's the issue I have with 380s, though, is that when's the last time you saw a 380 that broke six plus one? At most, you're carrying seven rounds, and then you know you can get into an extended magazine, and maybe it's eight plus one, but then it's a smaller frame, you know. And the 380 round has some reliability issues, uh, you know, especially on cheaper guns and stuff. And I just, it's not, you know, and I have huge, you know, bare paws for hands, so I opt against carrying something like a Glock 42. It's just personal preference on a lot of it, but there's a lot of data to support why nine millimeter is a better choice. So. You have to be, like I said, you have to be personally accountable for all of these decisions. The decision to buy the firearm, the decision to carry the firearm, the decision to train with the firearm. You know, one, it's like a ladder. Like you take a step up the ladder each way you go until you get to the top. And you have to, you have to look at it through that lens. You have to. If you're not, you're falling short somewhere. You know, and I will be the first one to point out that a lot of guys on the internet will talk about why you have to buy Glock or you have to buy the new SIG or um, why they like Smith & Wesson or whatever. You know, they'll justify why their choice was best or why, I mean, in, in a lot of cases, it's why they like it better. Um, it may not always be the right option for you. You have to kind of take it all with a large grain of salt. Just like I would encourage you to take my opinions here with a large grain of salt. I really enjoy Glock. I know I get it. They're fucking ugly. A lot of people don't like them, whatever. But they're reliable. They are reliable guns. You want this thing to work, and you don't want to have to worry about this thing blowing up in your hand when you're shooting. You know, so start with a reliable firearm, and then buy reliable fucking carry ammo, for the love of God. I can't even tell you how many people you see on on social media, you know, doing these... Uh, you know, posts and uh, boomerangs or reels, and they just, you know, check out their gun, check out their spare mag, and they're carrying ball ammo. Which, okay, I mean, training with that is one thing. You really should look into some kind of, you know, it's like that, like, step one is buying a quality firearm. Like, subs, like, that's step one. Step 1A is, is purchase quality carry ammo. And the nice part about that is you really don't have to go through it very often. You know, you should cycle through it annually, maybe. Um, but it's like 20, 25 bucks a box. 
that that ammo, those hollow points, for the most part, have actually gotten down to prices that they were almost um, pre-COVID. Hornady, critical defense, uh, spear gold dots, um, get, get quality, or even I like the Sig V crown. That stuff actually shoots pretty good. Uh, get quality uh, carry ammo, something that's a hollow point that is meant to expand upon impact, uh, create a larger wound channel, and it it helps with over penetration. Ball ammo doesn't spread out like that, so you have to think about this from a physics standpoint. As hollow points kind of mushroom or or whatever they spread apart, it's making more con more surface area contact, which will aid in slowing the round down. Which to an extent here, I'm not a I'm not a scientist, but it'll slow down the round, which aids in the concerns of over penetration, right? Ball ammo doesn't have that, so ball ammo can have a greater risk of overpenetration, um, which again, we're talking about accountability. Every, every trigger pull, you are accountable for that round, right? You are, whether you, you know, whether you don't want to, you want to acknowledge it or not, you are in the eyes of the law. Um, and any good concealed carry tactics course, um, is going to, is going to say that exact thing. That's why so many, uh, instructors preach accountability. You're responsible for every round down range. Law enforcement is, Right, whether you know was it called qualified qualified immunity, um, or not, or as an armed civilian, even in the military, right, you are responsible for every round you put down range. So, have good quality ammo that is designed for your intended use. You want to go to the range and train? Do not. You don't have to go blow the bougie ammo. You know, fifty dollars for fifty rounds, whatever. Um, but pick up some some decent. Uh, you know, nine millimeter hollow points. So if you're carrying a 40, whatever round you're carrying, right? Pick up some hollow points. Okay. Carry those. You'll be doing yourself a favor. It's, it's a better choice. It's a better decision. Um, you know, so this all kind of builds together into the overall picture that we're talking about. Um, and I think that I, I really do. I hope that the, the, the community, the two way community, the pro to a media or the right wing media or I mean whatever, however you want to position that or phrase that, I hope we, that we hold on to this story the same way that we seem to keep holding on to some of these other tragedies, right? The Valde school shooting, which was a, I mean as more detail comes out, it was a horrific depiction of malfeasance and uh, incompetence by the police department there. I'm very pro. I'm I'm very pro law enforcement, but my God. The number of mistakes that were made with how that was handled, and the footage that is coming out, uh, the details that are coming out, how they detained an officer who wanted to go in and save his wife who was on the phone crying for help, knew she was going to die, and they detained and disarmed him and wouldn't let him go in. And over an hour, they sat there and waited, you know, 400 police officers, whatever it was, versus, you know, this one 22-year-old young man, I'm not going to say boy, kid, because he's a man. 22 years old, in the eyes of the law, you're a man, and he acted as a man in this situation, and he faced evil in the eye, and and he protected his community. I hope this is a story that we latch on to, and this is something that is used as a comparison point, the way we talk about things like Uvalde, the Pulse nightclub shootings, uh, you know, uh, Sandy Hook, uh, you know, whatever. Right, we see that fucking little asshole David Hogg getting out uh, and running his mouth in judiciary meetings, talking about race, racially motivated and religiously motivated, and all these issues and why we need to ban guns and why it's the issue. The kid doesn't know shit about shit. In all perfect honesty, 
But we allow people like him to push the narrative of these incidents that happened in gun-free zones without acknowledging the fact that they were gun-free zones and that we, what's consistent in every one of these situations is that, legally speaking, we are disarming citizens for reasons that we can't really quantify other than that guns are scary, guns are bad. We're taking a logical and legal look at an issue and addressing it from a place of emotion rather than fact. Now, I think we are starting to see a great pushback. I think, I pray, right, when we hit these midterm elections in just a couple short months here. I mean, I'm only two weeks away, I think. We are having our Republican primaries here in the state of Michigan. By the way, anybody listening, you really need to do your research and make sure you're voting for a good candidate here in Michigan to take on um, sitting Governor Gretchen Whitmer. And we need to swing the state red. Um, we should have constitutional carry here in Michigan. Uh, the Democratic policies here have done zero to help us uh, in in the past uh, four years, certainly. Um, you know, so keep that in mind. But yeah, we have midterm elections coming up in November. I think that's honestly why we're seeing such a push now. Oh, we got the red flag laws. Now we need to keep going. We need to carry on this wave, and we need to keep. We need to ban assault weapons. You know, you already just passed this bill that's supposed to have solved all these issues. Why now are we attacking again with an assault weapons ban? I think it's because the Democrats are actually kind of scared that they're going to lose their majority in the House and Senate, and then they won't be able to push through any more of their agenda for the last two years of the Biden uh, presidency. However, I do think it's worth uh, at least saying out loud here that we're two years almost in on the Biden administration, and what about all the things he campaigned on? I'll just ask that question, because clearly we have a lot of attention being put on mass shootings and gun control. We finally now have a director of the ATF. Um, He got through, right, Uh, unfortunately. Um, Man's never owned a firearm, but he's apparently, you know, in good enough position to run the ATF, but I digress. Uh... The administration is 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 railing towards gun control. Um, I think that's and again going back to my original my point here is that that's why it's so important that we take stories like this, these stories of success where a good guy with a gun was able to be effective and accountable as a armed citizen, was able to make a difference and save American lives. That's what it comes down to. That that wasn't the intended you know, um, it wasn't the intended use or use case, uh, or idea behind the second amendment. However, the second amendment was written broadly and vaguely enough that this protects it. And we're starting to see more and more Supreme court cases, uh, Supreme court decisions, uh, striking down things like 10 day waiting periods and having to prove why you need a concealed carry permit. So, you know, it all rolls together, right? Think how different the situation could have turned out had constitutional carry not been put into law two weeks prior. Think about that. Would Elijah Dickin have had his firearm with him? There's a good possibility he may have, but he could also have been facing criminal charges for, you know, violating uh, gun-free zone policy or, you know, however they handle that in the state of Indiana. I know it, it differs greatly from state to state. In most cases, if they find out you have a gun, they just ask you to leave. Um, but there could have been some kind of civil penalty, something like that. I don't know. Uh, Obviously, it's very different because we're not looking at that now. Constitutional carry is legal in Indiana. 
I think constitutional carry should be legal in every state, honestly. Um, you know, I, I think if we're really pushing the guns are scary narrative, then, hey, cool, then let everyone carry concealed. And, you know, that's why we go back to ignorance is bliss to some extent. Um, but, yeah, so this is – it really does highlight the situation. It does highlight that a well-trained and armed citizen can make a difference, will make a difference in times of need, in times of, of tragic circumstance. It, we, we, have to, we have to be allowed. We, we, we have the fundamental right to self-defense and to bear arms. It's the weapon of the day. Okay, when it was broadswords and bows and arrows or, you know, sharp sticks, like, that's what people carried. As technology has evolved, so have we too. And these are common use items, common use weapons today. So we have a right to have access to them. So, um, you know, I mean, so I, I just something I wanted to talk about. I wanted to put my thoughts out there. Um, I thought this was, this was an important topic to look at accountability has a, has a very, very far reaching, uh, impact when we look at these skill sets and our overall preparedness. Um, so I, you know, dive into a couple different things, right. Talk about how this situation highlights a lot of them. And it also highlights, you know, obviously we talked about the media. We talked about how your news sources can have an impact on this. So be the good Samaritan and be personally accountable. If you're listening to this and you realize you haven't gone in several weeks, several months, or God, I hope not, several years between range sessions, go shoot. Even if it's only 50 rounds or 100 rounds, go shoot. Train with your concealed carry pistol. If you're if you're going to deploy this in in an active shooter situation like that, you know, um, be able to be effective. That's your responsibility. You have to be personally accountable for every round that goes down range. So if you guys have not done any kind of research or digging on this, uh, you know, Greenwood Park uh, shooting and Elijah Dickin, I encourage you to look into it. I think it's a, it's a major success story uh, for the 2A community. Uh, additionally, like I've said multiple times here, it's deeply tragic that lives were still lost and lives were impacted as those were as there were additional individuals that were wounded. Um, that's obviously something that's going to stick with them their entire lives. But I don't see a way out of this for us as a culture, a community, a country, a society. I don't see a way out of this unless we all step up and be more personally accountable and take back our lives and our communities from these evil people that are setting out to you know uh, send a message or push a narrative uh, via active shootings, mass casualty incidents, right? Take the responsibility, take the accountability, um, be, be someone who can be a difference maker in these situations. So I hope this has been enlightening, um, or thought provoking at the very least for you guys. Uh, I've been thinking about this a lot over the last couple of days, you know, spent a lot of time driving back, uh, home yesterday. So I had a lot of time to kind of knock this around the old noggin, um, think about what I wanted to say, make some points. Um, so yeah. Uh, if you, like I said, if you haven't checked it out, I, I would definitely read into it and, um, then, you know, 
take your next steps accordingly, whether that's buying a better handgun, buying better ammo, buying better training, um, you know, buying a better holster. Shout out to Eclipse Holsters. Go pick up a new appendix carry rig, um, you know, or strong side carry, however you want to carry. You know, whatever, something's going to be better than nothing in that regard, as long as it's a good quality holster. So just some food for thought. Um, I will be picking up over the next couple weeks here. We'll have more guests coming on. I know at least like the next three weeks, I have some really badass guests that we're going to be bringing on talking about some things that I've never talked about on this podcast. I'm really, really excited. Um, this week is like my, my vacation week and my break from, uh, you know, preparing for guests and putting these things all together. So, um, kind of, you know, recharged, re, you know, rejuvenated, uh, and excited to, to jump back in the swing of things. I think you guys are really going to dig the next, uh, the next few guests we have on, but, uh, that's all for me for now. Uh, until next week, you guys get out there, work hard, train smarter. And like we always say here, be prepared. Be prepared.